Welcome to the INS Infusion Room, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. The Infusion Nurses Society is recognized as the global authority in infusion therapy and is devoted to setting the standard for infusion care. I'm Dawn Berendt, your podcast host and the Clinical Education and Publications Manager for INS. My guest today on INS Infusion Room is Terry Dilks. Terry is the president of the American Psychiatric Nurses Association. Welcome, Terry. Well, thank you so much, Dawn. I appreciate the invitation to be here. Now, Terry, I always love to give my guests the opportunity to tell about themselves, who you are, what you do, and what role you play in nursing. Oh, wonderful. I did not ever want to be a nurse until I discovered (laughs) psychiatric nursing. And I realized that this was an area of nursing where I could combine many of my loves and talents, art, music, uh, playing pool back when I started doing this, uh, and that I could tell things about patients and other people from how they interacted in those particular venues and how wonderful it was to be able to bring that in and help people heal from that. I've been in the field since the 1970s. I've gone through a lot of transition. I was a staff nurse, a head nurse, a director of nursing, and I began to work on a master's degree in psychology and became an LPC, a licensed professional counselor. Thought I died, went to heaven. I was going to do this for the rest of my life. And I began working with a select group of patients who had disassociative identity disorders and began to look at the effects of trauma and stress on people as they grow up and how that translates into their adulthood and their ability to interact. So I got a little burnout. My husband said, go be a nurse practitioner. And I said, oh, you're full of it. I'm, I'm just, that, that <laughs> cannot be a good choice. But I got into it and rediscovered my love for nursing and began to look at how I could combine the talents of therapy with psychopharmacology, neurobiology, and all of that type of thing. I began teaching about 19 years ago and have taught oh, I don't know, about over 100 people right now to be psychiatric nurse practitioners in the state of Louisiana and Texas, Southeast Texas as well. And so I love passing on the knowledge and I look forward to looking at where nursing is going to be in the next 10, 20, even 30 years should I be privileged enough to still be here then. Excellent. So for someone who really had no intention of being a nurse, you sure have been busy. (laughs) I've been busy. I've been busy. Absolutely. Now our discussion today, we should let our audience know that today's, the date of today's recording is April 30th and our country and our, our, um, globe is certainly dealing with a pandemic of of proportions that we've never seen before. So we're going to talk a bit about Mm COVID-19 and the mental health impact of of managing this crisis. So Terry, you're going to lead us through some information that I think will be so valuable for our listeners. And I'm going to start out with the first question. And 
ask outright, what are some of the reactions that nurses can expect to experience in this current situation? And and we should say they already are experiencing this. Um, but what can they expect as normal? What are normal feelings? I think recognizing that this has affected stress not only in our professional lives, but also our personal lives. Many people are having to balance a very unusual work experience where we're having to work in with equipment we maybe didn't have to work with before, or the lack of that equipment that we didn't have to work with before. We've always worked with contagious diseases, but I don't know that we have ever been as a world this concerned with bringing that contagion home and bringing it into our families. And then you double it up with things like cooking, which you may not have done every day forever, having to become homeschoolers for people who have young children, and finding the time to take time out for ourselves. And as nurses in general, we're not very good with that because we got into this profession to help others, right? That we were Mm going to help people get better, whatever that meant to people. And now we've got people that are not getting better, more than usual. Uh, We've got the stress to ourselves with having to realize that we can't fix it all. We can't do things necessarily in the way that we used to do them or in in ways that may even be considered to be best practices. We're having to separate ourselves from the patients a little bit more. Family Mm -hmm. members are not allowed to come in. We are having to to replace not only the nurses that we've done, but also to step in for patients in providing that role of comfort and connection that we haven't had to before. So I think there are times when we believe we have to do everything and we have to be perfect at it. And when that is not possible, we begin to question ourselves. We begin to feel guilty about not being able to do things to the absolute best of our ability. We begin to feel guilty that not only are our patients not getting the best of us, or our students not getting the best of us, our families are not getting the best of us, and we are also not getting the best of ourselves for us. So recognizing that that is normal is the biggest, I think, mm-hmm. uh, issue mm-hmm. that people need to be able to understand, that you're going to have a whole range of emotions. You're going to have anxiety. You're going to have depression. You're going to have frustration. You might uh, get irritable more easily than normal. You might go off on people more easily than normal. We also may have physical symptoms from it. We, our, heart, our blood pressures may go up. We may not be sleeping well. You may start to have nightmares. Um, it is a recovery process that goes ongoing. And right now, we're not sure when it's going to end, you know, and that is a little frustrating too as well. Certainly. So you've named so many stressors Mm -hmm. and you've named some of the possible reactions to those stressors. Let's begin talking about how we can manage those reactions. 
I think one of the things that is hard for us, again, is to manage ourselves and to recognize that it's okay to take a moment or a few moments here and there to regroup, to regenerate, to take a breath, to do some um, self-comforting and to recognize that we can be compassionate towards ourselves as well. That's hard. I think for nurses, it's hard for a lot of people, but I think it's hard for nurses to say, okay, I I need to go to the bathroom. Even if I go to the bathroom, you know, sometimes I I remember times when I was working on the floor that there just seemed to not be enough time to do something simple like that or to go eat. So it's important to remember to take care of ourselves because without that, you cannot be there for the patients at all. You cannot be there for your family. The other thing is to to work on connections, to be able to have people that you can talk to, to be able to um, give back in ways that are different for you. You know, we have some professors at the university that I'm at that are musicians who can't get together and do, you know, concerts Mm -hmm. or anything like that. So they're going out on their streets and they're playing music for other people. Um, we as nurses can do similar things. If your gifts are in in uh, horticulture, you can take flowers and drop them off on people's porches while you're self-isolating. One of the things that we know is that in doing this type of altruistic kinds of attitude, it increases oxytocin in the body, which is a, a helpful hormone. It's a stress hormone but it's one that helps us heal. When you have a rapid pulse rate and you're under a lot of stress and you're paying attention just to the cortisol, your blood vessels constrict. When you reframe how you're thinking about stress, that this may be a useful thing, we can turn it around. There are studies that show that the blood vessels open up and that you're getting more oxygen. You're taking better care of yourself. Um, so strengthening social ties, taking a break from social media. Oh my goodness. How many Mm -hmm. of us are sitting around looking at Facebook, looking at all the arguments about what your governor has done or what your governor hasn't, hasn't done, um, what the president's doing, what the president's not doing, whatever side you come down on it. And the more you infuse yourself with those types of things, the more tense you get and the mm. more irritated you get and the, the, the greater the stress is with it. So making sure that you're taking a break, that you're being smart about when you listen to it and how much you listen to it, to make sure that you're taking some time to play, whether you have children or not. Play is one of those things I think we forget about, um, that it's okay to to skip. It's okay to spend some time um, tickling each other, whatever that is to get into the laughter part of our lives. Those types of things we know help people. So social Mm -hmm. connections, making sure that you're limiting um, exposure to media, making sure that you're taking time out for yourself, exercise, hydrate, connect, 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 connect. That's one of the things that we can do. And that will help managing the reactions, talking about it, recognizing that it's all right, recognizing that it is a, um, 
it's something that we need to take advantage of because we're connecting mm-hmm. in very different ways, aren't we? We're yes, no, definitely. We're, you know, we're not going out to eat. We're um, we're connecting with Zoom. We're connecting with Squadcast. We're connecting with a variety of things. And to recognize that while we may miss the hugs, which are important, mm-hmm. and the physical touch, that we still can reach out and we can still touch. There's there's a technique called a butterfly hug, where if you can't get a hug from somebody else, you hug yourself. And, and you spend some time being okay with that. Or you hug your animals. Or you hug the people that are in your, your household. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Um, f- now, Terry and I are on Squadcast, and so we're looking at each other. And what she just did was she crossed her arms in front of herself, uh, wrapped her hands around her shoulders, and just kind of squeezed a little bit. And I've never heard of a butterfly hug before, but uh, it was well demonstrated. And uh, <laughs> definitely that's going to hit home for a lot of us. So um, let's go on, and we're going to talk about a little bit of a tough subject here. Um, and w- I want to talk about managing grief because there mm-hmm. is certainly a portion of loss during this pandemic. And um, for for clinicians, you know, sometimes it's a loss of a patient. Um, many individuals have loss of loved ones, neighbors, uh, people that are close to them. And then there's there's just also that cumulative loss of knowing you know, 50, 60,000 people are gone from, from our nation right, right now. Right. Um, so let's talk about how to deal with grief right now. The, the biggest thing is to recognize it and to recognize that it's okay. I think early in our nursing careers, we learn how to separate a little bit from what happens with our patients. You know, some of us are in situations where you expect to lose patients. Those folks who work in ICU or the emergency room, you you learn to expect that there are going to be some patients who die. Now we've got lots of them. But there are other losses as well that we're grieving. We may have family members who are not able to work. Some of the nurses, while we need nurses, may have been furloughed, and they're not able to work. So you get those kind of losses on top of it. So recognizing that it's okay. And the other thing we've lost is some of our traditions. So if you lose a family member, what does the funeral look like? You know, down south, we bring food to people. You can't do that. We we gather in large numbers of people to hug and to, to express our sorrow and to tell people how how you know they'll live through it and that um, that this is part of life. But we don't have those traditions anymore. We don't have those ceremonies anymore, or at least that's how it is down here. And, and when you do, it's limited to you know ten or ten or. 10 or less people. Um, right. How do you do that when your family is 25? Mm-hmm. You know? and mm-hmm. So, you know, recognizing that everybody is going to go through this, but also recognizing through the grief that we are, can build resiliency. And resiliency is really also another one of the keys to to be able to talk about it. Some hospital systems are providing therapists that are available 
Um, and I think that's wonderful. And I wish more would do that so that nurses going off their shift or coming on their shift have somebody that they can go talk to, have somebody that they can cry with if they need to, to recognize that this is important. So we need to develop some new traditions. It may be having a sympathy wall. It may be um, sending cards to family members. It may be utilizing FaceTime or some other technology like that to connect a dying patient up to their family members. I mean, that's one of the things I hear over and over. I was not Mm -hmm. able to say I loved them. I wasn't, Mm -hmm. they weren't able to know that, that I was still here. So again, connecting with the creativity, connecting with our responsiveness, trying to figure out what new traditions are there and to talk about it, to be honest with it and to recognize what we did do to honor that we were there. We Mm -hmm. as nurses may be the last person that patient sees. And a a colleague of mine told a story about a COVID patient that had recovered. And what he remembered most was the faces of the nurses. Wow. And how Mm -hmm. wonderful is that, Mm -hmm. that we had the honor to be able to do that for people. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned resiliency. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of take us to a different place right now. I've I've often had this question. Um, I was in a session, an educational session a few years back, where um the educator, a, a, a brilliant woman, was was presenting us the with the concepts of resiliency. And in her slide deck, there was a picture of an oak tree. Um in a storm that just kind of tipped over and shattered all the pieces and it was laying all over uh, the the grass uh, and it wasn't able to weather a storm. And then the next picture that came up was like a palm tree or a tree that has like coconuts and it was kind of bent all the way over in the midst of a really strong storm. And then after the storm, it popped back up and it was standing there. And, um, the message was, you know, don't don't be inflexible. Don't don't be like that oak tree that that doesn't have room to move, but be more like that palm tree. But when I looked at it, I saw that the palm fronds were laying all over the the grass. The coconuts had fallen off. Um, there was damage to that palm mm-hmm. tree, and even though it could weather the storm, it could come back up. It was damaged, and mm-hmm. I. I I guess I want to understand resiliency better because the ability to be flexible and live through a storm doesn't mean that we're not going to be have some some injury, some loss. Uh, can you speak to that for me? Yes, one of the things. I, I mean, I can see what you're saying while you're talking about it, but the other thing is, a year later, that palm tree doesn't show the damage, right? Mm. The, the palm fronds are back. The coconuts are back. Their ability to to go forward, even though they've had that damage, is amazing. There's a a pine tree here where I am right now that's bent at a 90-degree angle and then bent again at a Mm -hmm. 90-degree angle. So, and, And I look at that thinking, why in the world did it survive that way? But it was the way life took it. It is still a strong tree. It's still alive. 
It just looks a little bit different. So Mm -hmm. as people, we can take that analogy just a little bit further than what you did and recognize that we can take those experiences and we can be better. We can weather this, should it ever happen again, better. We will have that strength already built in. We will have the ability to reconnect. And part of that is staying true to ourselves, staying true to, um, to how w- w- the things that we can do that help us feel better, the connections mm-hmm. that we make with other people. There are a lot of us that feel like only nurses can help nurses. So let's use that. How can we begin to connect in different ways? Because we do understand, even though I'm a psychiatric nurse, when you and I were talking earlier about infusion nurses, I understand those concepts. I understand some of the frustrations that they must be going through right now because the storm is here. And they're having, they're losing things that they never thought they would lose. They're learning, losing protective equipment. They're losing the ability to manage the infusions in the way that they normally would and, and taking those kind of consequences. But on the other side of this, we may have discovered wonderful new things. Mm-hmm. We exactly. may have discovered other ways of doing things. So resiliency is huge. And we can choose to see this as damaged, or we can choose to see this as another way of growing. Excellent. That's the best answer (laughs) I've had for that question. Thank you. You're quite welcome. Okay. So let's talk about feelings of guilt. You just touched Mm -hmm. on it. You created a nice segue here for a tough topic. I know guilt whether it's because the nurse is not on the front lines we have we have heard from those who say you know i i feel bad i'm not i'm not there with my my fellow nurses and not doing what what they're doing i'm not shouldering that load sometimes the guilt is because they're not able to provide the exact care um, that they are accustomed to and doing you know, due to shortage of resources or social distancing, even the ability to have touch, you know, that right. that is a part of our practice is is very limited right now. So let's talk about what to do about those feelings of guilt. First of all, recognize that it takes all of us working together. And you're gonna have some people that have gotten on that plane and gone to New York City. They may not have the small children at home that you have. They may not have the older parent who needs you to hang around. Your hospital may not be the hospital that's inundated with COVID patients. That's okay. We all play a role. People could not go to New York City if they thought they were leaving the patients behind that needed care. They are trusting you to take care of them. As a psychiatric nurse, I've, I've been listening in sort of on Facebook, that listening is sort of a relative term, reading about mm-hmm. people in psych that are very frustrated thinking, I'm a nurse, I should be able to go in there. Well, you know, goodness knows you do not want me in ICU and you mm-hmm. probably don't want me being an infusion nurse. It's been many, many years. Um, but what I can do is I can be there for, here for you. 
I can be here for other nurses to talk to. I can be here to help them figure out ways to help their patients deal with what's going on around them, with the fear that they've got, the absolute unknown of, am I going to survive this? You know, we have all this media going around about it. So recognizing that you are doing what you are called to do, whatever Mm -hmm. that is right Mm -hmm. now, and you're doing the most that you can, you are and focus on what you can do, not what you can't do. Mm-hmm. What can mm-hmm. we do? Uh, one of my students is making masks for people. Mm-hmm. You know, she can't be where the outbreak is, but she can make masks. And so for her, that's one of those things. What can you do? And maybe it's not nursing. Maybe it's not the front lines, but the front line people couldn't be there without the rest of us. It's like mm-hmm. our grocery workers. We couldn't, we couldn't self-isolate at home if we couldn't go get groceries. Exactly. Exactly. So that takes us into a nice part of the conversation where we talk about what nurses can do to support the mental health of their colleagues. Now, I have to share with you, I have uh, just a very beloved colleague who uh, I meet with regularly, but during our regular weekly meeting, there's an item on our agenda that stands um, every single week, and it is to talk about work-life balance. How are you balancing? And and this colleague holds that mirror up in front of, of me every single week to see how are you doing uh, with this aspect. So I, I'm really curious, Terry, to see what you're going to say about how uh, we can support mental health in a similar way. Um, this person has built it into their practice uh, that I work with, but what can we do now when we look around and we see all the coconuts falling? <laughs> How can we help them get get those picked up? Right. Um, there are so many different things that we can do. One of the things that I want to talk about, though, is the stigma that is often attached to mental health issues. And mm-hmm. your friend has framed that in a very nice way. Instead of saying, how are you feeling, Um, you know, are you having any problems with depression or anxiety? They're saying, how are you achieving balance? So it's reframed in a way that is not specific to mental health. When When I watch the undergraduate nurses coming across the stage every year, I count how many of them say they're going to go into psychiatric nursing because... Again, there's a stigma there for people going into psychiatric nursing. They almost hold their hands up and say, oh, no, 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 I could never do that. And every single nurse does that. They don't realize that, but they Mm. do that. If Mm. you're talking to patients, if you're talking to physicians, if you're talking to nurse practitioners, if you're talking to family members, you are doing psychiatric nursing. And so recognizing that and and saying, this is okay. It is okay for me to be supportive. It is okay for me to recognize I'm not having a good day today. It's okay for me to reach out and ask for help. And it's okay for me to be there for somebody else, like your friend Mm -hmm. is. 
and to be able to check in with people. How are you doing? What are your feelings? Do you need to talk to somebody that, that, has maybe a greater skill set than I do. Because if your feelings are becoming so depressed in the news this week, there was, and and I'm I think pretty much all of us have recognized it, uh, a story about an emergency room physician from New York who had committed suicide. And so are we going to let our colleagues get to that point? Hmm. Are we going to allow our colleagues to get to the point where they feel so hopeless and helpless? and not touch base with them. So it's important for us to be open. It's important for us to recognize these are normal feelings and that other people may need some help too. So you reach out for help, but you also provide help for other people and recognizing those signs and symptoms and then refocusing on why did you do this to start with? What about being a nurse is a great thing. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. we're heroes. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's easy for us to slough that off and say, I'm just doing my job. Mm -hmm. But what we are, are important frontline workers, whether you're on the front lines or behind the lines, pushing the frontline people, it's important to be there and be supportive. And it's important not to have that stigma. Mm -hmm. You know, does that make sense? Oh, yes, definitely. Definitely. So let's talk then about long-term mental health needs for nurses. Now, um, I've heard the word, uh, the acronym PTSD floating Mm -hmm. around here, and we are wondering how how are we going to come out of this and um, what's it going to be like and how does that relate to our long-term mental health uh, after uh, COVID-19 resolves to, to whatever extent it, it does resolve. Hard to, hard to say that right now. Right. It, PTSD, as, as mental health professionals, we believe will be there. We believe that it's going to be um, an issue for many people. We also know that there are a number of people who won't develop it. So it's a matter of what makes the difference between those two. For some of it, it's our background, it's our life experiences, it's our uh, the amount of resiliency that we have, the amount of altruism we're able to engage in. We know that there will be a percentage of people who develop PTSD symptoms, and there will be many of us initially in, in all likelihood, and it will manifest in many different ways. It might be nightmares, it might be sort of flashbacks, it might be um, startle-type reactions to things. Mm-hmm. And for many of us, those will go away over a period of time, you know, recognizing what it is, trying not to stuff it down. Because when we stuff down feelings or when we cut off feelings, we cut off all feeling. You can't just say, I'm not going to feel the bad stuff. If you cut off that ability to feel, you're also not going to be able to feel the good stuff. So recognizing it and figuring out a way to manage it. There will be some people in three years, five years that still have some symptoms from that. And those are the the folks that really need to get into some therapy to start dealing with it, to figure out what kind of therapy they might have that they can add to for themselves. So like I might encourage people to look into uh, self-help books 
For some people, it's spiritual. For other people, it's redirecting that negative energy into something positive. And it's trying to honor that we did what we could do. We did the best we could do during that time. And we don't have to allow this to continue to intrude on our lives. And that takes practice. And it's, you know, recognizing that there's going to be anxiety, there's going to be depression. One of the biggest things I ask people to recognize is insomnia and sleep disturbances. If we can get those under control, a lot of these other symptoms get a lot better. The lack of sleep, if you know, there are Mm -hmm. studies that if you go long enough, you get psychotic with Mm -hmm. not sleeping. So if we're not getting good quality sleep, then those other feelings are also intruding on us. So mm-hmm. being aware, that, that for me is one of the top things that indicates somebody's having some trouble is when there is sleep disturbance. And mm-hmm. I start there, unless they're suicidal or homicidal or you know, psychotic, mm-hmm. then I start other places. But sure. sleep sure. is hugely, hugely important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, can you share with us what resources are available? Right. Well, of course, the American Psychiatric Nurses Association, I have to give them top billing, but they have a wonderful, wonderful resource page for nurses. We also have some free um, resources out there that we normally charge for, things like motivational interviewing, things like how to take care of yourself. Um, there are all kinds of self-help tips, all sorts of ideas on, on what you can do and how to recognize it. There are many, many other organizations that offer similar things. The World Health Organization, SAMHSA has some absolutely wonderful resources looking beyond just what we can do for healthcare professionals, but also what you can do for families, what you can do for, for kids, because that's another piece that we've got to take care of when we've got kids at home is recognizing that they are also under this stress. They can also develop PTSD mm-hmm. from what's going on around them. They're not socializing right now like they, they normally do. Um, my grandson was here with me and my internet was not nearly fast enough for him because that's <laughs> how he socializes is to get on the games and talk to his mm-hmm. friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to take him back home where he had better internet services. Looking at and recognizing um, that, that there may be some community support you can get into. The state board here in Louisiana is helping gather resources for mental health support. So look to your state boards, look to your professional organizations, look to um, beyond just nursing, the American Psychiatric Association and the uh, American Psychological Association both have resources posted. The biggest thing is to recognize when you need the help when that depression and anxiety has gotten to the point that you're going to crash and burn, that you're considering suicide, that you're considering, um, or, or that you've, you're finding that your domestic violence is increasing in your home because you're so short tempered, recognize and reach out. There are several, um, resources. 911 is always one. There's also suicide hotlines and there's a talk with us and a text with us kind of service available. 
Mm-hmm. So if you're uncomfortable verbalizing, and a lot of young people are because that's how they've grown up, they text mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, finding those resources, if you work in a hospital, making sure those resources are posted in your hospital, um, those types of things. Good. Very good. Terry, what is the most important message that you have for nurses today? Before we close, I want to give you that opportunity. I think, you know, 2020 is the year of the nurse. Who knew? Mm -hmm. (laughs) We we did not know that we were in for this kind of a year, did we? We did not. And we are important. Our training, our background, our education, what we do for people is so very, very important and that each of you needs to cherish yourself, cherish your colleagues, do the butterfly hugs, you know, find a way to celebrate who you are. And nurses, I, I, you know, as somebody who really never intended to be a nurse, I can't tell you how glad I am that I am a nurse. This is a wonderful profession and each of us and each of you are wonderful and valued and needed. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Terry. It has been such a joy to just sit down and talk with you. The tenor of your voice is soothing all by itself. Um, The conversation is so important. I certainly will put many of the resources that you mentioned in our show notes um, and definitely the American Psychiatric Nurses Association. I've been on that site uh, recently. I think we received something in our email and you do have some great resources. And um, I want to make sure that our listeners have the availability of all of those uh, for themselves as well. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you, Dawn. I appreciate the invitation and I appreciate the opportunity to reach out and tell people that help is here. You just have to find it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. This concludes this episode of INS Infusion Room, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. We welcome your comments. You can reach us at infusionroom at ins1.org. That's infusionroom at ins1.org. Thank you for listening.